Welcome to Brookings First United Methodist Church and our podcast, Messages from First United Methodist Brookings. This podcast is an audio version of Pastor Pete Grassow and Pastor Krista Ducker's sermons from the First United Methodist Church in Brookings, South Dakota. You can watch the full service online at any time on our website at brookingsmethodist.org or at the link in the episode notes. On behalf of the pastors and our entire church family, thank you for joining us. So we are in the season of the Christian year known as Lent. It is a time of preparation. Six weeks that have been given to us to prepare for Easter, that we don't just rush into Easter, but have chance to reflect on what Easter means for us. We are using a, a guide, a study book called Spiritual Formation by Henri Nouwen. The whole conference, in fact, is using it. So you can go online in the conference website and find ideas as well. And every Wednesday and every Sunday, we will offer conversation around this book. Tonight, we're looking at chapter four, headed from resentment to gratitude. I really do recommend this particular chapter, especially if you've had to deal with resentment at some point or other. But for tonight, I want to take us back to the time of Jesus and particularly to talk about education in Jesus' time. Jesus, who spent most of his life and his ministry with people who were far from the city. He was out in the rural areas, primarily in Galilee, areas that had no schools at all. The children mostly received education from wandering rabbis who would go from village to village and gather the children and teach them. And, and the main task of the rabbi was to teach the children how to say the prayers of the faith and teach the children how to read some of the scripture, which was preparation for their confirmation, except they didn't call it confirmation. They called it bar mitzvah, or in the case of the girls, bat mitzvah. So the rabbis would prepare these young people, give them some reading, give them some sense of faith, and then they were done. And they would join their parents in whatever profession the parents had. If your father was a farmer, you would go and farm alongside the rest of the family. You might learn bread making or weaving from your mother, but it was essentially the skills that the family had. Occasionally, occasionally there were a lucky few who the rabbi invited to accompany him, and it was always hymns in those days, so that they could become assistants to the rabbi and possibly one day take over the work of those wandering rabbis. In that sense, Jesus was no different to the rabbis of that time. And Jesus gathered, invited 12 students to join him. 
I read from Matthew 10, verse 2. These are the names of the twelve disciples. First, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, the sons of Zebedee, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Patriot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed Jesus. Now note, these students did not apply to study with Jesus. As Jesus was teaching, he invited them. They were added to the team of the rabbi. And we can safely assume that these 12 considered themselves privileged to have been invited to join the team of the rabbi. Not one of them said to Jesus, I'll think about it, I'll get back to you. In fact, the very opposite. We are told immediately they left what they had and they followed him. They were overjoyed with this opportunity to join a rabbi and study. I see gratitude at what was an unexpected opportunity. Because if you have been a student of a rabbi, it certainly gave you prospects greater than what you might have had within your family. You might one day take over from that rabbi and go and teach as the rabbi had. You certainly could have work in local government because you'd learned how to read. It gave you real advantages. But as we read the story of these 12, it seems that that initial excitement, that initial enthusiasm where you drop everything and follow Jesus, gradually wore off and turned into resentment. I'm going to read in Matthew's gospel again, just 10 chapters later. I pick up at verse 20. Then the wife of Zebedee, and if you've been listening earlier, James and John were the sons of Zebedee. So their mom, the wife of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her two sons, bowed before him to ask him for a favor. What do you want? Jesus asked her. She answered, Promise me that these two sons of mine will sit at your right and your left when you are king. So what's happening here? The mother of James and John comes to Jesus to ask a special favor. She wanted more for her boys, which I guess is the story of most mothers. You would hope for as much as possible for your children Jesus, my boys deserve to be more than students. So when you become king, can they sit next to you as your personal advisors? Basically, the students are now applying to become coaches to the king. They've moved from being grateful for their opportunity to learn from Jesus to thinking that they can now become advisors to their teacher. You know that saying about a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing? Suddenly, 
Suddenly they all thought they had enough knowledge to be Jesus' left and right hand guys. Their gratitude had turned into entitlement, which is a common human emotion. We all get trapped into thinking we have served our time and we deserve some reward. I deserve to be promoted. I, I deserve to be seen. My hard work needs to be recognized. And when your hard work and your loyalty and your faithfulness is not seen, you become resentful. How dare they treat me like this after all I have done. Is that a familiar feeling? Henry Nowen says this, resentment is the curse of the faithful, the virtuous, the obedient, and the hardworking. And resentment is like a virus. It can infect the people around us as well. We just read of a mother and her sons, but if we read a little further in this passage, we read how the other disciples got infected as well. I'm going to read Matthew 20, 24. So just a little later, when the other 10 disciples heard about this, they became angry with these two brothers. Out of all the emotions they could have chosen, they could have chosen joy or laughter or sarcasm or amazement, they choose to be angry. Angry, why? Is it possible angry because it looks like those two have got ahead of the line? Maybe angry because we didn't think about it first? Maybe angry because they thought they were going to lose out? And I find it amazing how swiftly these disciples move from enthusiasm and joy and excitement to following Jesus to resentment because they feel like they're not getting all they deserved. And it's here that the story challenges us. I note again the words from our study book. We too, like the sons of Zebedee, want to be near power and reflected glory. And if we cannot sit on the throne, we at least want to sit very close to it. And when it seems that we are denied what we believe to be our just reward, we become resentful. And so tonight, I would want to extend the invitation for us to set aside our sense of entitlement. Because the fact is we don't deserve anything. Everything we have is a gift from God. This morning when you woke up, God gifted you with another day of life. You did nothing to make today happen. God gave you the day. You went through this day breathing the oxygen that God has given you. You did not create the very breath that you breathed in the day. We were given the ability to think and to love and to engage with other people. And I'm challenging us to discover a life of gratitude. I am going to illustrate my point. 
I would like to tell us the story about a man who had every reason to be resentful, but instead of being resentful, he chose to be thankful. We're going to play a short clip of this man's life, and you will see where I go. I was made a slave as a teenager, at an age when I could hardly speak and before I knew what I should do and what I should avoid. Even today I blush and am very embarrassed by my lack of learning. I am quite unable to express my story in the same way as those who are well trained in the art of precise writing. As the Roman Empire in the West begins to crumble, uh, God begins to ignite something so special. And he does it through a 16-year-old boy who, by his own admission, is not interested in the things of God, although his father was a deacon and his grandfather was a priest, so he would have been familiar with the things of God, but he just wasn't interested. He is walking in the coastal regions of Britannia. There's an Irish raiding party that's coming across, dark, pagan, Celtic, occultic. situation like that. You don't really understand the language. You're being beaten. It's brutal. And then you're sold as a slave. I came to Ireland. Every day I had to tend sheep. And many times a day I prayed. The love of God and his fear came to me more and more, and my faith was strengthened, so that in a single day I would say as many as a hundred prayers, and almost as many in the night. I used to get up for prayer before daylight through snow, through frost, through rain, because the spirit within me was then fervent. And so he's made his first choice, not to be bitter. Very often it's the little choices that you and I make in life that nobody else sees. There may be secret choices that we make before God that become the hinges of history. And then God speaks to him. Patrick, who we celebrate tomorrow on St. Patrick's Day. Patrick, who chooses, instead of being bitter, to offer his life to God and to preach the gospel to the very people who carried him away as a slave 
Today is known as the patron saint of Ireland, the one who brought the gospel to Ireland. Because he chose to live with gratitude rather than with resentment. I invite us tomorrow on St. Patrick's Day to be reminded of this man who lived his life with gratitude and because of that, the effect he had on a whole nation. And perhaps if you live with some gratitude, you can have an effect on your family and on your neighborhood, on our city, and who knows, maybe you can be the one that softens the heart of the nation. The invitation to Holy Communion is the place that such a prayer begins. We come to communion in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. And the invitation is to then receive communion and receive with gratitude the love of God. And then to leave here and to share it with others. We're going to go back to that song that we sang earlier. This time it is a prayer. It's a prayer that prepares us for communion, that prays, Lord, may I be a sanctuary. May I be that one who offers my life as a blessing to this world. In the same tradition as St. Patrick, in the same tradition as many Irish people, let us live with gratitude as well. Thank you for listening to today's message from First United Methodist Brookings. To get every message delivered to you, subscribe to this podcast for free and leave us a review wherever you get yours. And be sure to watch for new podcasts from us launching in the coming months. You can always find more information about our services and outreach on our website at brookingsmethodist.org and on our Facebook page, Brookings First United Methodist Church. On behalf of the pastors of Brookings First United Methodist Church, thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast was produced by Sam Becker on behalf of First United Methodist Church in Brookings, South Dakota. Intro and outro music was performed by our praise team under CCLI license number 936719, streaming plus license number 2103916. Visit brookingsmethodist.org for more information. Thank you.